Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. You see, some, something in us says there's something wrong when I engage chaos in my life and I, do, I have to bring order. Something in each one of us says, I mean, even if you are disorganized, you will come to a place in your life where you say, this is enough. Let's bring order. God created you that way. He created you with the ability to bring order in a life of chaos. You were created in His image and in His likeness. And let's just read for a moment how God created. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2. Verse, verse 1 to 2, listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You have to understand, God created the heavens and the earth, but it was still void, formless, dark, and there was a kind of a deep waterish kind of thing going on there. It wasn't evil, God created it good, but then in the next verse, God spoke and He brought cosmos out of chaos. He brought life out of a world of chaos. And that is the narrative of the the Bible. If you read it from there, I mean Noah's ark. There was a flood. God brought one family out of the chaos and brought them safely to start life all over again. The people of Israel, from slavery, Egypt, chaos to a life of order, the promised land. Even today, God is still doing that. Revelation 21 verse 5, Jesus on the throne saying, I am making all things new. I'm bringing order, I'm bringing life out of chaos. And we are called to do exactly that. Listen to this, Genesis 1 verse 28. God just made Adam and Eve and then He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We are called and created to subdue the earth. And sometimes I think the word subdue sounds a bit negative in our in our ears, but listen to this. The word subdue means the following, to rule over, to cultivate, to take control, to prevent chaotic conditions from happening. We are called to actively bring life and order in a life of chaos. We are called to be caretakers of the world. Not only our own lives, but even the lives around us and the city around us. We are called to bring chaos, uh, to bring uh, order and chaos. Sometimes we are called to bring chaos. (laughs) But here's the crazy thing. When I say that to you, you're like, yes, I'm bought into that idea, Eugene. I am called to rule. I'm I'm called to bring order. But I have to be honest with myself. My life is a bit of a mess at the moment. There are pockets of chaos in my life. Relational chaos, like physical chaos, financial chaos, physical chaos, spiritual chaos, 
And how do I get to a place where I actually again rule over that and bring God's rule over that? And that's why we're doing this series, a five-week series. We want to take you on this journey of discovering what it looks like to rule in your life. And today we're kicking off the series with this idea that you can only rule in life if you are under the rulership of God. You need to submit yourself under His rule before you can rule in life. Second week, we're going to look at the thing of what it looks like to live from His rest. You know, a life of restlessness leads to chaos. It leads to burnout and stress and anxiety and depression. What does it look like practically to live from God's rest? Week number three, we're going to look at what it means to live in connection to other people, to steer away from the isolated and lonely life. Week number four, we're going to look at the thing of healthy boundaries, the yeses and the noes in life. How do I know how to say no and what to say yes to? Last week, we're going to live, uh, look at the thing of living generously, living outwardly, giving yourself to other people and to God's cause. But today specifically, we're going to dive into this thing of what does it look like to rule in life? The first thing is this, you need to submit yourself under the rule of God. Let's start by saying this. In all of our hearts, there's this notion, this idea that we want to live independent from God. We actually don't want to live under His rulership. Now, I grew up on a bit of a smallish farm kind of setup with a lot of animals. I mean, donkeys, cattle, sheep, budgies, parrots, mice. I don't know if they were part of the pets or just there, but anyway, fish. We had everything. And uh, so today, if you come to my house, I don't have animals at all because I see all of them die and I had to pray and bury them in the ground, you know, at their little funeral. So I spare myself that pain now. But we had a lot of animals and specifically we had one sheep. His name was called Rammels. Just say to the person next to you, Rammels. It's such a nice word to say. You can tell them you are a Rammels, but we'll get to that now. Okay. So this sheep had a bit of an attitude problem. I thought that he was demon possessed. Um, I was sure of it. I just needed for the manifestation of the demon, but never came. But anyway, the crisis was when all of the other sheep would go in that direction, Rammels would go in that direction. If we placed food there, he wanted to eat there. I thought he had a bit of a goat spirit in him. <laughs> you know, he was half sheep, half goat. But the crazy thing about that animal, we could never get him to actually just go with the group and submit to the leadership of the shepherd, which was myself at that stage. <laughs> Not a very good shepherd. But you know that each one of us carries something of that in our DNA is that we don't want to submit to God's rule and His reign. I mean, one of the most famous poems in the history of humanity is Invictus, and it ends by saying, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's the desire of humanity to live disconnected 
from God. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says the following, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. It includes all of us. Why? Why in our heart of hearts do we want to live independent from God? <laughs> the other night we were invited by uh, friends of ours to go and eat at their house. Now, Alba would know, but if you have, I have three boys. The one is five, the other one is two, and the other one just turned six months yesterday. If someone invites you and your kids, you go. Because no one invites you anymore if you have three kids. Amen, Abel? So if they are okay with the fact that you bring your kids, you just grab onto that opportunity and take them. So we went because they have four children. So three is nothing to them. So it's chaos. Seven children running around in the house. It was chaos. But <laughs> it, there was this one moment, my eldest boy, he was playing with uh, trucks and stuff. And then he said to the lady of the house, um, can I please get some Legos to play with? And she said, yes, absolutely. But first, let's just pack up the um, trucks and stuff. Um, that's a rule in our house. We first pack uh, up the stuff before we play with other um, toys. And I was sitting around the corner and I was listening to this moment playing off. My mother-in-law always says, kids keep you common. Just when you think you have arrived in life, they just level you down again. So, <laughs> my boy's response was the following. Tani, that is a stupid rule. In our house, we don't have that rule. We can do whatever we like. <laughs> I, have, I had to contain myself in that moment and thought, I'll have to be very sensitive now how I handle this. So I didn't handle it publicly. Luckily, the lady of the house, she has four kids, so she knows. Um, well, I wondered if she knew that we didn't have the rule. But anyway, so we went home and I just gently put God's rule and reign again into his life. He surrendered and he sent a voice note to the Tani, um, you know, uh, apologizing for his behavior. But in that moment, I... I was thinking, but do we have this rule in our house? I was unsure, you know, if this is a thing in our house. But here's the crazy thing in your life and in my life. That is the truth. We don't want to submit under God's rule and His reign because we think it's a stupid rule. One of the famous atheists in South Africa, I follow him on, um, on social media. He said the following about God. He said, God is about control limitations, rules, laws, and rituals that restrict and govern behavior. A life without God thus offers freedom. It offers a person the opportunity to do what they like in line with their own moral code. Sometimes people on the outside of Christianity look at us and think, what are you doing? I mean, the party is out here. Come, freedom. Don't submit to the rules and the regulations and the strict punishment and the, you know, the stuff that God just want to box you in and He want to keep your life, you know, controlled and limited. And we sometimes think about God in that way. Let me switch again. Yes. 
Now I know you're with me if I do this, you know. It was all planned. <laughs> and we sometimes feel the same way. But here's the crazy thing. Even an atheist who don't believe that there is a God, we all live with some other God in our lives. We cannot not live with a God. What, what, are, what do we mean by God? It's this thing. When you elevate something or someone to the most important position or the most, imp- the most significant thing in your life, that thing or that person has become God in your life. If you follow someone's train of thought with, with regards to what is the most important thing and the most significant thing in my life, that thing is their God. For some of us, it is maybe a pagan idol and a Buddha that we, you know, <laughs> uh, but for some of us, it's not that. It's just people or ideas or yourself maybe. And the thing that is most devastating to us, friends, is, the, is when we don't worship the one true God. When we worship other gods, it leads to chaos. It leads to destruction. You see, we were created firstly to worship the one true God. That's our creative purpose in life. And then second to that is to rule over his creation, to rule the things in life. And Paul helps us to understand what went wrong with us. Romans 1 verse 22, listen to this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human beings, birds, animals, reptiles. You have to understand what Paul is doing here. He's speaking into the context of that specific culture. He's saying that they, obviously the Greco-Roman world, were full of idols, full of other gods, temples, uh, uh, birds, reptiles, you name it, they worship everything. And Paul is saying to these people, listen here, you have fallen into the trap of putting something else above God. You've placed an image, a thing, a person into the place where God is supposed to rule and reign over your life. And that is what happens. What happens when that happens is we turn creation's order upside down. You see, we were created to worship the one true God and rule in life. But now, when we worship the things of life rather than the Creator Himself, these things rule over us. Creation's order is turned upside down when God is not our God. And Psalm 106 verse 36 says the following, David writes, he says, they worship their idols, which became a snare to them. You see, the moment we speak about idols, you have a certain picture in your mind. You have the, you know, the dwarf in your garden. We're not supposed to have those things. Or you see the Buddha, or you see the Hindus bringing um, apples to some other elephant. That's what you have in mind. This is not what the Bible is saying here. He's saying there are certain things and people that you have placed to the, in the place of utmost importance in your life. And David is saying those things and people will become a snare to you. You see, the moment that you put something else on the throne of your heart, what happens? It strips you. That thing strips you of power, of dominion. It takes away your rulership. That thing will make you blind 
for God's truth. You will start to live in a web of lies. That thing will make you a slave. You will become the thing that you worship. That thing will have control over you. You will lose your sense of joy and freedom and love and choosing what you want out of life. That thing becomes the thing that decides what you want, when you want it, and how much of it. You lose your sense of freedom and joy. When last did you enjoy something? It's because of this, friends. God gave good things to us to enjoy. But the moment the good things become God things, they steal our joy. The moment you take what God has given you, good things, and you make that the most important thing, it will kill your joy. It will kill your freedom. It will literally strip you of your rulership. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I asked myself, I, I, I cannot speak about these things if I don't share some of my idols with you. And now I want to caution you. You might after this piece of the sermon, thank God that Abel is your pastor and not me. <laughs> Some of you would want to walk out of the room right now. <laughs> That's fine. But I, as I was preparing this, I, I asked God, what are some of the idols in my life that I've been journeying with? And there were moments where these things or people have become more important than Him in my life. And I've, I've made a list so that you can judge me or, um, you know, See it in your own life. So I wrote down, life has only meaning and I only have value if I am loved and respected by other people. I call that one the acceptance idol. Life has meaning only and I only have value if I am highly effective and successful in my work. We call that one the working idol or the work idol. Life has meaning only and I only have value if I get noticed for my accomplishments and successes. We call that the performance idol. Life has meaning only and I only have value if my race and my culture are seen as superior to others. We call that the racial idol. Life has meaning only and I only have value if I've reached a certain level of financial well-being. We call that the money idol. Life is meaning only and I only have value if my family are happy and happy with me. We call that the family idol. Life is meaning only and I only have value if I look a certain way. We call that the body image idol. Life is meaning only and I only have value if there is a specific person in love with me. We call that the romance idol. Romance idol. In Romans, <laughs> that's the pizza idol, Romans. <laughs> now, the moment I read these things, I see the guilt on your faces. You're like, oh, Nia. you know, Eugene, I'm an idol worshiper. I knew it. I knew it. I could just, you know, have a little dwarf in my garden, you know. <laughs> you know what? When you see these things in your own life, you're not supposed to feel defeated. You're supposed to rejoice. 
The Holy Spirit is revealing to you that there are other things on the throne of your heart. There are other things that are more important than Him in your life. You're supposed to go, thank you, Lord. I was blind to that up until this point, but now I see it. I can address it. I can lay it down at your feet. I can bring you to the prominent position again in my life. I can surrender to your Lordship again. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) You see, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, we don't like that scripture. Let's be honest. We We don't like that kind of talk because it seems like God is again putting down rules and regulations and we think it's stupid. We like Christopher, my eldest boy. It's a stupid rule. But when we read something like Exodus 20, you have to understand the intention of God's heart in this. This is actually a love letter to his people. It's a father speaking to his sons and daughters at the Mount Sinai at that moment. And what is he saying? He's saying, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And the moment we read that word jealous, we cringe. We're like, oof, that's a negative word. You see, God is not saying he's a jealous God in the negative sense of the word, like jealous in terms of uh, envy, like I'm envious of what you have. No, God is jealous not of something that he doesn't have. He's jealous of something that he actually has. That's you. Whenever God sees that there is something pulling at your heart or someone pulling at your heart for the place of prominence in your life, God is saying, no, my son, no, my daughter, this is not good for you. There's more than this. You're going to create chaos in your life. Come away from that. I wish you could see it, that this thing will destroy you in the end. God is calling you and saying, my loving child, put me again first. It's the best thing for you if I am your God. And then the end of that, he's actually, he's actually explaining why. He says, because I want to show my love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does it mean to submit yourself under God's rule? It means that you will live in His love, that you will experience the fullness of the love of God in your life. And God is actually saying, just before that, He's saying, if something else is God, you will, you will actually you know, influence your generation with this issue of not living in my love. And he's saying, if you submit under me, your, your kids, kids will experience the love and the grace of God through your bowing of the knee, through your worship of God. Parents, there's nothing better than when your kids see a parent who's fully submitted under God's rule. They will do the same. But God is saying, I want to show my love to you, but for that to happen, you need to bow the knee. You need to get rid of the other gods. Put me first. Sure. Just take a deep breath quickly. (sighs) Okay, Eugene. 
Oh, but why did you get this man to come and preach? Send him home. <laughs> Let's make it very practical in our lives, friends. Let's not make this very philosophical. It's as simple as the decisions we make in life. I'm going to take this example and try to bring it as practical as possible to your life today. What does it mean for me to live under the rulership of God? To live under His rule and His reign? Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, said, Jesus said the following, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, in everything, in everything that we do, we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. We put God first in everything. What does it mean to live under the rulership of God? It means that the Holy Spirit come and reveal the thing or the person that is the most important and significant thing in your life. He also gives you the ability to dethrone that thing or that person and take it down from the throne of your heart and lay it at the feet of Jesus in surrender and say, God, I lay it at your feet. But then it empowers you to live a life where everything that you do you see out of the perspective of God first, His kingdom first, His righteousness first in my life. Let's take the example of decisions quickly. We all make decisions every single day. Some of you made very good decisions this morning. Sir, Sir Vasya, I saw a nice shirt this morning as they came in. It was maybe from the first Afrikaans service. I don't see nice shirts now. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> you made a good decision. Yeah, Nice. Huh? We make good decisions sometimes and we make bad decisions. Some decisions are small, some decisions are big. Should I move to another town? Should I get a new job? Should I get a new wife? Should I get a new house? That's not a good decision to make. I'm just saying. Bring that under submission to God. <laughs> Should my children study this? Should I study again? You know, these are huge decisions in life. And you know what? Our first reaction when we are faced with a decision like this, our first response is to put our own kingdom first. We are like Rommels. We are like Christopher. Stupid real. Stupid rule. We want to put our own kingdom first. If you're more spiritual, you would say, I'm waiting for a sign from God. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if I come to my office and the door is left open, I know it's a sign that I should go through another door in my career, you know. At, as if the providence of God is some code to decipher, a treasure hunt. He's a, he's a father, friend. You can just ask him. You don't have to decipher some code that he's hiding away from you. It's like the old guy that wanted to quit eating donuts. <laughs> he got a little fat in his 60s and he asked his wife to keep him accountable and say, listen here, there's a donut shop on my way home, so please phone me every afternoon and ask if I've stopped at the donut shop because I know it's bad for me. And the one afternoon, the old guy was a bit late. Mommy on the phone said, Papi, where are you? 
Did you stop at the donut shop? And he says, listen here, you won't believe what happened. I was driving from work. I had the cravings for donuts, but I know I'm not supposed to stop at the donut shop. But then it's as if God spoke to me and he said, if there is a space open right in front of the donut shop, I know that it is you, Lord, that is speaking to me that I can now indulge again in donut eating. And his wife said, and was there a spot open then? He said, yes, the sixth time I drove around, there was a spot right in front. <laughs> you see, God's providence and provision is not a code to decipher signs to watch out for. No, He wants to actively rule in your life as a father. Some of us are waiting for some impression in our hearts, you know. And yes, God can use impressions, but so can the devil and so can your own sinful heart as well. Emotions is never a good idea, uh, never a good uh, um, uh, reference to make decisions from. Truth is a better one. Use truth as the, as the way to actually make good decisions in your life. Here's the fact, friends. Whenever you are faced with a massive decision in life, there are influences influencing you to make a decision in a certain way. Past experiences, personal beliefs, fears, ambitions, other people, media, expectations, peer pressure, family ideals, your father-in-law, just joking, new opportunities, whatever it is, when we live actively under the rule of God, we silence all of those influences, all of the other voices, and we ask, God, you first, you influence me first, your kingdom first, not my kingdom not my will be done, but your kingdom and your will be done. I want to align my kingdom and my will to your kingdom and your will. Jesus first. That is what it means practically. How do we do it? Three things. Bible. You go and search God's word for truth. He has spoken now through the Son, the living word of Christ. You can discover that in the word. What does God say about this decision? Let me go and study the scriptures. Then prayer. You actually speak to God about this. Lord, this is what I've read in your Bible, in your word about this decision. What do you think about it? Change my ideas. Change my thinking with your truth. Then you make a decision, but you test it with the community of faith. You go to a brother or sister in the faith and say, listen here or your community group. I want to make a decision, but I, won't, I don't want to put my kingdom first. I want God's kingdom first. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. So I want to make a decision that is glorifying Him. Help me. This is what I think. This is what I have experienced. What do you think? And then go to someone that, is, that will love you enough to challenge you on that idea. Don't just go to the nice people that will cheer you on for your decision. Trust God that He would challenge your ideas sometimes because He's King. Not your kingdom, His kingdom first. And then you make that decision in faith. There are many areas in our lives where God's reign and rule is so practical and so actually simple. Put Him first. 
I want to end off and ask you a question. What are some of the things that are most important and most significant in your life that is not the one true God? And won't you come before Him today? And not, you know, out of a place of guilt and condemnation and shame, but out of a place of love. And say, Lord, I know that you love me so much that you want to remove that thing from my heart and you want to be first again. You want to be in the place of most prominence and of rulership in my life. And I submit to you today. It's as simple as that, friends. It's not this huge guilt trip thing. It's just saying, Lord, there is this thing that is not in line. I lay it at your feet. Be my God again. Be my first. Be my everything. Won't you come before him today? He's a good king. He's a good Lord. He wants to lavish you with his love. He wants to show kindness and love to you and to the generations after you. Where are the chaos in your life? Before you try and fix it with behavior modification, first come to the king of kings and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my everything. I submit to your lordship. Won't you stand with me? And I'm just going to play on the piano a bit and sing a chorus of a song. And I want you to just take a personal moment with God. Make it very personal to this morning. Just take a moment and say, Lord, here I am. Here are the idols of my heart. And I submit them to you today. And I want you to be the king of my heart. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.